Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our Sunday School lesson for August the 1st. You know, I just say August 1st and I automatically feel the heat, don't you? Uh, but summer's very, very close to being over. School will be starting before too much longer. Hey, football starts within 30 days. Some of you are gonna like that. And um, as we look at this for our Sunday School lesson, what happens after death to those not united to Christ by faith? And again, just in case you don't know, this is the New City Catechism, and we've been going through that. We're about uh, a little more than halfway. <clears throat> and uh, thinking about these things, considering these things that we should already know and probably do already know, it's just been a while since we picked them up, dusted them off, and looked at them. I have um, files in my file cabinet that are decades old, and sometimes it's kind of fun to pull them out, blow the dust off of them, open them up and read it and just remember some things. Some uh, times it may be something that where it's notes from a situation that has arisen and it's not always fun looking at that. Some of it may be looking at, um, you know, some old class notes from college or something like that and just remembering those kind of things. Well, that's what we're doing with these topics what happens after death to those not united to Christ by faith? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that uh, about 100% of you watching this could answer that question. They go to hell. And uh, we want to talk about that. This is, again, just kind of picking up something that's old and familiar and dusting it off and taking a good look at it again and refreshing ourselves and refreshing our memory as to what the scripture has to say about it. Now, the catechism answers it a little longer than what I just did. At the day of judgment, they will receive the fearful but just sentence of condemnation pronounced against them. They will be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell to be justly and grievously punished forever. You know, that kind of, well, it's kind of unpleasant to read that and to think on that. And um, I don't do, just do that in this situation, but sometimes I might be watching TV and maybe it's a cop show or something like that. And a person is uh, tried and then they stand before the judge and they hear um, that the jury has found them guilty and recommends a life sentence or something like that. And uh, sometimes, not every time, but sometimes, I put myself in the shoes of a person like that who is going to be convicted and then condemned. And I think how awful that must be to have that kind of a situation in your life to uh, think that you could do something that would be so terrible that you would have to stand in front of a judge and a jury and the people that are there in the courtroom to hear yourself, your name, and then the verdict of guilty, and then maybe the sentence of life imprisonment or execution or whatever it might be. Can you even begin to imagine how they must feel? 
Now, some of you may be able to imagine it better than I, because maybe you've had a family member who's been through that. Uh, there was uh, uh, someone that I knew in a previous church whose son had been convicted of murder, and he was going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Well, her views on all of that would certainly be a little different than the average person because of her personal experience. And can you imagine, you know, a mother's heart seeing her son standing before the judge, hearing his name and hearing him pronounced guilty and sentenced to live the rest of his life in prison? Uh, what, a, what a horrible thing to even think about. And yet, truly, whatever that is and however bad it may be, it pales into comparison to standing before the Lord, hearing him try your case, so to speak, finding you guilty and declaring to you, depart from me, I never knew you, into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, all hopelessness is just drained out of you. There's nothing in that that is good. There's nothing in that that's ever going to change. There are no loopholes in the law. There are no appeals or anything like that. That's it. That's it. Can you even begin to imagine? <clears throat> Let's go further with that. Use our sanctified imaginations. What if you were standing in line and you watched as person after person after person after person until they get to you? makes a feeble defense before the great white throne, but the books are opened and all of their works, good and bad, are exposed. And uh, you're hearing just how awful and depraved this person really is. And then they're sentenced to eternity in the lake of fire and angels come and get them and take them and cast them into that lake of fire. Can you imagine as you stand in line hearing verdict after verdict after verdict after verdict after verdict, and then it's your turn? Uh, I would think that with each verdict rendered, well, your anxiety would increase. Your fear would increase. Uh, I, I think by the time people get up to where they stand before the Lord, and remember, uh, we looked last week at some verses about this, that he, the one who sat on the throne, the Lord Jesus, how does it put it? Um, heaven and earth fled. You can only imagine what it feels like to be a guilty sinner standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what uh, we're talking about today for a couple of reasons. Number one, we need to understand it and make sure we're all accurately um, reflecting the scripture. And the second thing is, I would think that studying this would make me more burdened and more compassionate for the lost. And a lot of us don't witness because, well, we just uh, never think about it. Why don't we think about it? Because we're not really burdened. We don't really care about all of it. But if we really were burdened, if we really understood the scripture, I don't think you could keep a believer's mouth shut about the gospel and about salvation. And we would look for opportunities to share the gospel because people do, as Steve Green used to sing, people need the Lord. 
And uh, that's true. So the verses we're going to look at might strike you strange right at first. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, of course, I'm talking about John 3:16. But have you noticed how few people ever go beyond verse 16? Well, we're going to do that today because even John 3:16, where we look and we say, oh, that's a wonderful verse, but it even includes the words, shall not perish, right? Perishing is talking about an eternity in hell. It's not just a lovey-dovey, isn't this great, and everybody's going to heaven verse. Even it delineates between the two. Now, the next verse says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Well, that's, that's good news. I like hearing that. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Okay? Really like that. Really like that. If it were Facebook, I would hit the like button on that one. Ah, oh, but then it changes tone and everything with this one word, but. And what does it say after that? Whoever does not believe is condemned already. Do you think much about that? Your family members, your friends, your neighbors, most of the people living on this planet are not waiting to be condemned. They're condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let's skip on down. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's not just that they don't see life. It's that the wrath of God is on them and remains on them for eternity. The only way to get rid of the wrath of God. You know, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, I wish I could remember where, that God is angry with sinners every day. We just don't put that on our bumper stickers. We don't put that on our T-shirts. And we don't put that on our church signs. We want everything to be a lovey-dovey, you know, just pray this and come to this place and give money and all of that and everything's going to work out fine. But the truth of the matter is, it's worse than that because the wrath of God abides on every lost person. In fact, the wrath of God was abiding on you before you were saved. Now, God, in uh, just what we call common grace, doesn't let everybody feel that. That would be a horrible thing. I don't know that you could live through that or endure that if you were conscious of it. So there is some grace while lost people live upon this earth and some relief and reprieve from all of that. But nonetheless, it's true. The wrath of God abides on them. And uh, when we think about what the answer to this question said, that they are going to be away from the favorable presence of God. Now, the reason they put favorable presence of God is 
um, God is an omnipresent being, which means he's even in hell, but not in a favorable sense. In heaven, you and I who are saved are going to see God's grace, mercy, love, joy, compassion, kindness, all of those kind of things are going to be displayed upon us and lavished upon us in ways we can't even understand. So in hell, because God is everywhere, what is being displayed there? Well, his presence is being displayed, but not in a favorable way. It's a place where people are um, cast out, they're lonely, they are tormented, and they are being punished for uh, everything that they have done that displeases God. So when we talk about hell, and we should, think of these, uh, we'll think of this word, we'll just do one at a time. Write down the word or look in your lesson book and see the word final. We need to let it settle into our hearts that there is no hope in hell. It is final. You know, uh, there are a lot of prisoners today <clears throat> that get along okay and have hope because their sentence is winding down. Time for parole is coming up. Or they have hope that maybe a lawyer is going to find something that was done illegally in their first trial and they're going to get out of prison on a technicality or maybe on an appeal and the truth will come out and they'll be found not guilty. And I really do have compassion for people that are imprisoned who are not guilty. It's sad when you see some of these people that are released from prison that modern day DNA evidence proves that they did not commit the crime that they were imprisoned for and they served for 30, 35 years of a life sentence. Now they're out. How do they readjust to all of that? How do they get over the anger of how much life was stolen from them? be very, very difficult, I would imagine, to do that. But can you imagine when you hear the verdict about hell that it is a final verdict, that there's not going to be anything else that is going to happen to give you any sort of hope at all? No hope. Second Thessalonians 1.9 says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Away from God's favorable presence. When we think about God, we think about him answering our prayers. Won't happen in hell. We think about God easing our minds, giving rest to our souls, as Jesus said. Not going to happen in hell. We think about God and we think about him comforting us. Not going to happen in hell. And I won't belabor the point, but we could go on and on and on in that. Think about the kindness and the goodness of God. In fact, in the, uh, the, the little kid's prayer, God is great. Well, that's certainly true. And God is good. Did you know you can take God's attributes and divide them into attributes of greatness and attributes of goodness? And through Christ, we have been allowed to uh, enjoy the goodness of God on so many levels. 
Our problem is we're too immature to really see it sometimes, but that doesn't mean it's not there. Like a little kid, I had my uh, grandkids at the house, all eight of them, and uh, Lottie is really little, and Olivia just turned a year old. You know what I noticed about those girls? Boy, they just don't have much awareness about anything at all. They're not really all that aware of when they mess their diaper. They're not really all that aware of when they spit up. Well, Lottie is the one who spits up. Uh, they're not really aware of things that are going on around them. They may look at the TV, but they have no idea what it means. They just see the movement and they see the colors. There may be certain things they hear. And, uh, you know, the younger a baby is, the less sensitive that they are to that. Uh, but as they get older and more aware and more aware of self, they get scared when they hear a loud noise and cry or something like that. And I was uh, thinking about those two littlest ones and thinking about how cute and how precious they really are and how much we love them. But the uh, truth of the matter is, they don't really know me all that well. And um, they will later as they get older but uh, not, not really all that well. Maybe if I was around them every single day, but one's in Hugo and one is in Searcy, Arkansas. And so the times that we actually get to be with them for any length of time are, uh, you know, somewhat rare. I'm grateful for them, but they're somewhat rare. And uh, it's different than when you're around a child, you know, every day. When I think about them and I think about what they know, what they don't know, what they're aware of, what they're not aware of. I think about us. I think about us because, you know, mama comes and feeds them with the bottle. Mama changes their diaper. Mama gives them a bath. Mama puts them to bed. Mama rocks them to sleep. Maybe daddy too. And uh, all of these things are happening and these kids really do well, they have it pretty good. You don't have to go to work and they don't have a care in the world, do they? But they also don't really understand, to put it this way, how blessed they are. And I think that's the way we are as we are saved. And uh, we have to grow up in the Lord. And sometimes we don't like growing up. Sometimes we don't like the pressure it brings. We like the benefits it brings but we don't like the pressure. We don't like the responsibility that it might bring. And sometimes when we're in that younger stage, we're like those two little granddaughters of mine. We don't really know how good we have it, how much we are loved and how good life really is. I mean, those, those girls, they can pretty much fall asleep anytime they want to and they don't have to worry about being rude or anything like that. If you pick one of them up and they don't know who you are, they're going to cry and they're going to fuss. They don't care about hurting your feelings. Your feelings don't matter. They're irrelevant to them. All they know is themselves and they don't really know that very well, do they? And so um, I think that a lot of believers, maybe I'm talking to one right now, a lot of believers are that way. They can't really see the blessings. If we were to ask them, let's just take an entire hour on Sunday morning and it's going to be nothing but giving thanks. How long would you go? How long would you last in that before you snuck out? 
How long would you be able to think of things before it became difficult to give thanks to God for? And yet, it's immeasurable. And we forget. Either that or we're just not aware. And that lack of awareness is probably not as much hard-heartedness as you think, because I know most of you well enough to know you're not really a hard-hearted, resistant person toward the Lord. But maybe it's because you're not as mature as you think you are. And because of that, you're just not as aware of the benefits as you ought to be and as you will be when you grow up. Um, Someone told me one time it wasn't until I became an adult and had children of my own that I realized just how much my parents loved me and how much they did for me. I think that's a common testimony, isn't it? So when we think about this, and I need to get back on topic because our topic is hell, we, we look at all of this and realize they are going to be cast away from God's presence. And let's qualify it like they did, his favorable presence. All they're going to know is hopelessness, despair, and torment, and the wrath of God being poured upon them. As C.S. Lewis has put it, sin is the human being saying to God throughout life, go away and leave me alone. Hell is God's finally saying to the human, you may have your wish. And that's what Paul was talking about in there. It is a final situation. And some of these words are going to be kind of synonyms for that very concept. Number two, let's talk about the fact that hell is irreversible. Irreversible. I've already kind of alluded to all of that. Anything that man puts on can be reversed. A court can overturn it or, you know, whatever, but not, not going to hell. In fact, in Mark 9, 43 through 50, it says, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell uh, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. The salt is good if, it, if the salt, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Uh, That whole thing, Jesus is basically talking about judgment. And why is it that believers need to be salt? Because this world is so rotten. And as we saw in point one, they're condemned already. And you and I are called to slow down the spoiling of the society in which we live. And we do that by spreading the gospel and by praying and by doing good works to other people and glorifying God. But notice how... Jesus said that, uh, and he was speaking in a way where uh, we wouldn't literally cut off our hand or take out our eye. But he uses that in a little bit of hyperbole 
to say this is how bad hell is, it would be better to cut off your arm than to go to hell. Can you imagine cutting off your own arm? It would be better just to pluck out your eye. Can you imagine plucking out your eye? It'd be better to cut off your foot. Can you even begin to imagine how you would do that? And Jesus is saying, whatever it is you think about hell, it's worse than you think. And it's something that is irreversible. You see, just as if I were to cut off my foot, that foot's gone. It's never coming back. If I were to pluck out my eye, it's gone. It's never coming back. And the point that Jesus is making is when sinners are sent to hell, it's permanent. It's irreversible. It doesn't change. You don't come back out of it. Nothing at all. And how bad is hell? It's so bad that as horrible as the thought of plucking out your own eye might be, you're not even close to what, has, um, what is waiting for a sinner in hell. And when you think about uh, what Jesus is saying here, think about this. The judge judges accurately and rightly. He's got every bit of information that he needs because he's an all-knowing God. So there's no new evidence. There's no new witnesses. There's no jury. There's no higher court. There's not even somebody to make a mistake on this. It is what it is, and it is final. Thirdly, notice that the Bible emphasizes over and over that it is eternal. You don't just go there for a week. You don't just go there for a month. You don't just go there for a decade. Or an, It is an eternal sentence. Luke chapter 16, verse 26. This is uh, about the rich man and Lazarus. And um, it says, and besides this, this is Father Abraham speaking, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from here to us. Once you're in heaven, you're in heaven. You're not going to be thrown out to go to hell. That's an eternal state. In the same way, once you are put in hell, there's no escape. There's no exit signs. There's no door. There's no way out. It's a horrible, horrible thing for us to think about. Some people believe that uh, there's kind of a probation, that after you've served enough time in hell, that God will relent and let you out. Uh, Roman Catholics speak of that as purgatory. And I know technically they make a distinction between that and hell, but uh, purgatory is not in the Bible. And you don't uh, pay for your sins in heaven. And if you pay for them in hell, you're going to pay for them for eternity, aren't you? So there's no probation or purgatory in all of this. It's forever. There's also uh, groups of people who believe in annihilation. And they believe that God is going to send sinners to hell and uh, maybe your sin was enough to get you a 10-year sentence, and at the end of the 10-year sentence, you just are annihilated. The flames burn you up, and you're just a crispy critter. Um, <clears throat> that's not taught anywhere in the Bible. Not taught anywhere in the Bible. Some people believe that sinners never go to hell. They're just annihilated um, at the point of the resurrection, 
And uh, that would be the easy way out, wouldn't it? But there are no second chances, nothing like that at all, because it is indeed an um, eternal thing. And then lastly, I want you to think about something that we already know and what the implications are. Hell is prepared for the devil and his demons. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Prepared for the devil and his angels. That tells me several things about this. The devil's not going to be running around in hell poking you with a pitchfork and laughing. The devil's not going to be controlling the thermostat in hell to make it hotter for some and whatever. He's not going to be able to turn it down and freeze hell over like you see in cartoons and things like that. Hell is a place where the devil and his demons are going to be punished themselves for eternity. Can you imagine how terrified they are? They know the truth. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when they are cast into the lake of fire forever? That's one thing. The second thing is, can you imagine how awful it must be? You see, we talked, uh, I think it was last week, I used the example of a lot of people believe that, you know, uh, hell is for Hitler, but it sure can't be for my neighbor Bob who cuts my grass and who brought me lasagna when my wife was sick. I mean, he's a good old boy, good old boy. Well, the thing that we uh, see Jesus speaking of here is hell was not prepared for good old boys. Hell was prepared for the devil. Let that sink in. What do you suppose is God's attitude toward Satan and all of the angels who followed him, the demons of hell? And uh, as severe as your answer might be, it's probably not anywhere near severe enough, is it? We can't even imagine. I think that uh, when the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him, I think you could flip that verse over and say, eye has not seen and ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the horror of dying and going to hell. And I wish we could see that. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was a great evangelist. That's before the Salvation Army became merely a social gospel institution. But back when he did it, they were Bible believers. And someone asked him, uh, Mr. Booth, what do you think it would take to get Christians to witness the way they ought to? And without hesitating, he said, five seconds in hell. If we could feel the fires, hear the weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, then that wouldn't be any problem for us to try to uh, witness to other people and be motivated. And so if this is prepared for the devil and his angels, it, the ultimate rebel, then how severe and horrible it must be. However, there are degrees of punishment. In Matthew eleven twenty four, Jesus said, But I tell you, 
that it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And there are several other verses we could look at that indicate that there are going to be greater degrees of punishment, I guess we would say, in hell, depending upon the person. So the conclusion is for us to think about this. All of us deserve hell, you, me, everybody. And that's why the gospel is so powerful and so precious. This is why it must be proclaimed. Lost people aren't going to get saved unless we proclaim the gospel. But it also must be appreciated by us. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did for us on the cross and that you were raised from the dead, that you conquered death, hell, and the grave for all who would put their faith in you and that you are the one who paid for our sins in full so that we don't have to go to hell. Can you say amen to that? If you can't, you need to get saved, and I pray that you would. And if you are saved, then that amen needs to be something that you constantly affirm. Okay, thank you for your time. I appreciate it so much. Bless you, teachers. Praying for you in your classes. And for those of you who are watching this because you want to stay up with Sunday school, good for you. Way to go. That's a good thing. And I commend you for it. And I'll look forward to seeing you uh, next Sunday morning. God bless.